Welcome to AWS In Orbit. I'm Maria Varmazes. We're working with AWS to bring you an in-depth look at the transformative intersection of cloud computing, space technologies, and generative AI. On AWS In Orbit, we're exploring not just what's possible, but what's meaningful in the realm of space and cloud innovation. We grapple with the complex challenges and unparalleled opportunities that arise when we use space to address pressing issues right here on Earth. Episode 2 Buffy Wavoda and Securing the Space Frontier with AI Cybersecurity Solutions. My name is Buffy Wavoda, and I am the global leader for solutions architecture at AWS for the aerospace and satellite business. In this episode, Buffy's going to take us on a journey through the intricacies of cybersecurity in the space sector. Buffy will discuss the unique challenges and solutions AWS offers in securing the space frontier. She also will delve into real-world scenarios where AWS's cybersecurity solutions are making space exploration safer and more secure, and leveraging generative AI to do it. Um, my journey started about 22 years ago at the National Security Agency. So I started out there as a crypt analyst, but quickly got into both signal analysis and signal engineering because I was so fascinated by that. Um, after working at the NSA for a number of years, I ended up joining AWS in 2019. Um, from there, I started the ground station technical sales team, also known as the solution architecture team. And then quickly after, AWS decided, you know, space is really something that we should be paying attention to. Um, so there was a number of us who were brought in at the start of 2020 to really brainstorm about how we could do space better. And then in July of 2020 is when we started the Aerospace and Satellite Business Unit at AWS, for which I started the technical team there as well. Well, thank you, Buffy. Um, so you are at a fascinating intersection of cybersecurity and space. Tell me a bit about the need first for maybe stronger cybersecurity in space, but give some context to this as a little bit as well, if you could. Yeah, happy to. Um, so for starters, cybersecurity for space is a now problem. Right. So the space industry has been growing at a extremely rapid rate, um, whether that's building satellites, building rockets, launching space assets, launching space stations, obtaining space data, or driving insights from space data. It is the fastest growth in the industry since the 1960s. Yeah. And because of that growth, securing space is now being recognized on a global scale. Right. So whether it's the U.S. Space Force who just issued their infrastructure pre-assessment requirement, NIST um, giving guidance on how space should use quantum-resistant cryptography, the White House hosting the Space System Cybersecurity Forum, the EU expressing interest in setting up a Space Isaac, that's an information sharing and analysis center, or the Indian Space Research Organization explaining how they fight over 100 cyber attacks a day. Hmm. Space cybersecurity is a now problem, and AWS is uniquely positioned to help space customers understand, identify, and then lastly, automate the mitigation of those space cybersecurity threats. 
there's a really interesting kind of bridging the gap where there are many organizations that understand that cybersecurity in space is a high need at many that you mentioned. And then mm-hmm. there's others where it's sort of like we're still trying to get people to understand that this is something they really need to be paying more attention to. And I think one of the big challenges is explaining why cybersecurity in space is such a unique field, so to speak, compared yeah. to just sort of terrestrial cybersecurity for last... Uh, well, there's a cloud also, but, you know, terrestrial cybersecurity. Which is so on, how, the cloud is on the ground, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Despite the name. So why why is cybersecurity in space so different? I mean, aside from the in-space part, I mean, what is it about it that makes it so nuanced? Well, it, it really is the in-space part, right? Um, so when you look at space cybersecurity, you're really looking at four segments. And some of those are um, some of those are similar to what you would see in a terrestrial network, right? So you have the user segment, you have the ground segment, which could be similar to let's say like a data center uh, segment. That's where you have your antennas and your operations and all of that. Um, but space also has RF link and space links in between the space assets. So unlike like a normal web page where bad actors only have a couple ingress points. With space, you have multiple ingress points to launch a a cyber attack. Um, An example of that, a common space threat that we see at the RF link layer, which is something that wouldn't affect terrestrial, is GPS spoofing. So the GPS that we all use is completely reliant on satellites. But let's say, for example, a bad actor sends a rogue GPS signal. The endpoint user could potentially be using an incorrect map position. So think about things like automatic cars or military operations, the effect of that could be catastrophic. Um, Another thing that's fairly unique about space, again, because space is so far away, is that the space industry still employs a large amount of legacy systems and hardware. And those are often very, very complex and hard to secure using modern methodologies. Mm. So, for example, on a terrestrial network, you could always swap out a router. It's, It's not trivial, but it's conceivable. For space, it's not so easy to just swap out a satellite, let's say. Um, so that makes it very, very different from a terrestrial network. Hmm. Yeah, I, that that's a really fascinating point, honestly. Um, it's it, not everything. A lot of things are not just software problems. Sometimes it's, it's literally the hardware, too. Um, what are some misunderstandings that you commonly hear when uh, people are talking about cybersecurity in space, especially when we're talking about what's on a satellite? I think the most common misunderstanding is that space is secure because it's air gaps, right? Mm. So again, space is really, really far away. And up until recently, space was a you know nation state or a big corporation problem. Um, so to put that in perspective, in uh, 2016, there was about 1,400 active satellites. So a lot, but almost all of them that were owned by a nation state and large broadcast corporations. Now, seven years later, there are 7,700 active satellites. So a 5.5 times increase, a ton of commercial users out there, but everyone still kind of thinks of space as far away. It's air-gapped, it's hard to get to, and so it must be secure, it's far away. Hmm. Just because we have a hard time getting to it doesn't mean information has a hard time getting to it, Exactly. Yes, so you've done a wonderful job explaining the threat landscape, the threat surface, so to speak, um, and th- that service is changing so much because we hear about like proliferated networks and also, as you mentioned, like the volume of satellites going into space. 
So satellites, were now, they're not, not just talking to the ground, but they're talking to each other and data is getting shared. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for security? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to talk about, right? Especially the proliferated constellations that are out there. So examples of those are things like Amazon Kuiper or OneWeb or many others. There are several customers out there who are making giant nets of satellites above our heads where the satellites talk to each other and talk to the ground. So when space networks unify with terrestrial networks, um, first off, I want to talk about the importance of that, right? Um, That is going to be a game changer for the industry. And space is going to become just a part of our everyday lives. It is where the unit, the uh, is where the industry needs to go, and it is actually going to be a, a really great thing. However, as you know, any network becomes more and more connected, it leaves more and more egress points and allows the network more vulnerable to be attacked. So, right now, for example, if you want to attack a space network, you need to get access to that space network. So you can do that through RF link. You can do that through if you have, I don't know, a, a space asset yourself in space, but it's hard, right? It, it is hard. Yeah. But as those networks become more and more interconnected into our terrestrial network, let's take, for instance, the, the use case of the phone. So phones will have those satellite radios built into them. If there's a satellite radio built into my phone and I'm a hacker, I'll be able to, you know, basically have an egress path to a satellite that is in my hand, which Mm. didn't exist before. So that's where, you know, that is where the, I would say the the tricky part of integrating with terrestrial comes into place. Because right now, the networks tend to be very, very separate. But as you connect the space networks with the terrestrial networks, all of a sudden, you're going to have more connectivity more ingress points, and space is going to become vulnerable to vanilla-like cyber attacks. So think about things like DDoS, for example. So DDoS being denial of service. If you have a website, you throw a a bunch of requests at that website, and then no one else can access that website because there's just too many requests coming back and forth, back and forth. Imagine doing that to a satellite in space. So you can take out entire comm satellites. You could take out entire... Earth observation satellites just by sending a bunch of requests to space. GDOS really isn't something that space deals with nowadays, but in the you know very near future, when space and terrestrial is more connected, it is going to be just commonplace for those sort of vanilla cyber attacks to be a part of the you know space cybersecurity portfolio. Okay, so what would that look like when that happens? I think one of the examples that most people are familiar with is the blackout of Biosat over Ukraine. Um, so that was done through malware. Um, so the attackers were able to get into just a normal computer system, use a normal cyber attack, malware, and basically take all, all of Biosat's modems. Um, so it's an example of how once we connect more and more at that terrestrial layer, you're going to make networks in space more and more vulnerable. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Where you have these increasingly interconnected satellite networks that on the one hand are more vulnerable because they're interconnected, but then there's also great benefit too, right? 
I know for me, one of the things that I personally like am excited about, but also want to make sure that customers understand from a security standpoint is how 5G networks will connect to satellites. Because one of the things about 5G networks and how they're being used is to use a lot of new access points on ground like IoT. But IoT, if it's not configured properly, can be less secure. So all of a sudden, you have this new access point that you didn't even think about being connected to a satellite, and you can trace it all the way back to a satellite. Yeah, it's so fascinating as you're as you're talking about these different sort of I love the term vanilla attacks um, because it, no, it's a great description because it's it's one of those things like there's sort of a there's an allure to being in space. There's all this like the cool factor, right. and yet these attacks can be very, for lack of better terminology, kind of unsexy. But it's just like it, no, it's but true. It's, it's, space is now vulnerable to you know I I know it's a bit cliche, but you know it's vulnerable to like the. 15-year-old, you know, kid who wants to be a hacker and have his name known or her name known, right? Yeah. Um, because Absolutely. these are attacks that you can use across any layer of the network. Absolutely. And it's, it, I'm so glad that you've, you've laid out that, that landscape for us. So thank you. So we, we've spent some time talking a bit about sort of the, the current situation. And it's like, oh, it's so much big challenges. So let's let's completely switch gears. What is AWS doing to innovate here and to help secure customers? So AWS, I think, is uniquely positioned to help our space customers understand, identify, and automate the mitigation of space cyber threats. Um, so AWS has over 300 security services. We support 143 different security standards and compliance certifications. And we can provide customers to thousands of third-party security solutions that are already deeply integrated with our services. So that is all to say that AWS is trying to make security easy. And so what customers are asking us for is easy and actionable security services so that they can manage their cyber threats. In addition, um, I would say that AWS's scale allows for a significantly more investment in security countermeasures. So, for example, at the end of August, AWS security teams noticed a new type of cyber threat, a new type of HTTP request that was flooding our customers. And we were able to mitigate that for all of AWS customers because we're continuously looking at our own infrastructure and trying to boost or bolster security for all customers. I think AWS has been doing a lot in terms of innovating in how we think about security. Um, so the hot topic for a lot of industries right now is AIML and generative AI. Hmm. So we work closely with a lot of customers to use these technologies to develop new cybersecurity solutions and introduce the new power of generative AI. So one of those customers is CrowdStrike. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into CrowdStrike, what they've been doing. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what's going on there? Yeah, so CrowdStrike has developed a generative AI security analyst called Charlotte AI, mm. which is able to help customers quickly react to new threats and speed up investigations. Mm. And this is all being powered by Amazon Bedrock. So Amazon Bedrock, if you're not familiar with that, it provides easy API access to a bunch of foundational models that we have stored in the cloud. So we have foundational models from the top startup companies, which usually encompasses like large tomes of information, puts it in a model, vectorizes it, 
and then allows customers to use the creative power of generative AI. And mm -hmm. Amazon Bedrock provides customers easy API access to those foundational models. So in the case of CrowdStrike and Charlotte AI, they're using Bedrock to use natural language processing for threat detection, investigation, hunting, response, all using the CrowdStrike Falcon platform. Wow. So what does this, yeah, what does this mean? Yeah, what does that look um, like? I'm, I'm really yeah, curious. Exactly. Yeah, um, So then, so people who are using Charlotte AI, so customers who are using Charlotte AI can ask security questions of the platform like, what are the biggest risks facing our business critical assets? Or hmm. what threat actors most often target us? So again, hmm. it's that natural language processing rather than trying to do a complicated, let's say, database query, or even if you have something like a dashboard drawing all the lines through the security processes, now customers can just ask natural questions like, did I have a cyber attack yesterday? And Charlotte AI will be able to answer that. So wow. the actions that they receive are intuitive. And then it also provides actionable answers on ways to mitigate those risks. Wow. In addition, when you think about like all of the training that security analysts have to go through, it also allows your most advanced security analyst to work on the most advanced problems because yeah. now anyone can do sort of the basic, like, where is my security stance today? And yeah. so all of that being powered by Amazon Bedrock and our financial models, we're super excited about that. And, you know, we hope that this solution that CrowdStrike has made helps all industries, including the space industry. That is such a cool story because I can absolutely see... I've been in those meetings where you've got like a C-level executive asking those exact questions. And right. that usually takes a ton of work and a ton of time to, to answer that. It's a lot of digging and being able to give that or actually better yet being like, here you go. Here's a tool you can actually use. Well, it that's what I say. So now, you know, not to, um, you know, not, not to belittle the, the, the skill sets, but, you know, not all C-level individuals are at a, you know, technical level that is on no. par with everybody else. And right. so now C-level individuals who are probably very, very busy in their day can say, how many attacks did I have yesterday? And you'll yeah. get an intuitive answer. That's amazing. And it's not within, and I don't mean in a mean way, a walled garden. It's like just security analysts are super busy people. So they know that those requests are very important, but sometimes they're literally fighting a fire. Uh, and they may not be And then another fire pops up. And then another fire, exactly. That, that is really game-changing. I'm not, I don't want to undersell that. That is huge, Just that accessibility information. Um, so, yeah, here I am fangirling about how cool this sounds, but I'm, I'm very curious what you've heard from security analysts about what they think about all this. One of the things that we often hear from security analysts in terms of getting information out to the workforce is that they are reluctant to give all of the information to the workforce because mm. it would inundate the workforce. Yeah. When you look at the amount of cyber attacks, DDoS attacks, like possible failed logins, all of it, it inundates people. And yes. while they want to be transparent, they also don't want to paralyze the workforce, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here again, generative AI and natural language processing just makes us all way more accessible, but also way more actionable. Anyone can be in a security analyst. It's it's just, but also like people who have a gajillion things to do. And, and again, they're yes. usually fighting like 20 million fires at once. Um, but that information is also so important for a lot of people. They need to know, they need to have a sense of the, the company's position on something or, you know, how, how vulnerable are we? 
And uh, it lets people who have a specialization do more of that, whereas the general information gets where it needs to go. I'm just, that's yeah, incredible. The, okay. Yeah, anyone, <laughs> you know, ranging from, you know, people who are new at a company to executives will be able to ask, you know, very simple, very intuitive security questions, get the answers that they need, and then your highly trained security analyst will be able to work on the most critical problems rather than, you know, honestly just working on data gathering. Yeah, and like running reports, which is the last thing they usually want to be doing. So let's talk a bit about uh, innovation, because security is a field where we always have to stay on top of what's going on. We got to try and stay one step ahead of the adversary. Innovation is so important. Innovation is also what space is all about. So what is AWS doing in terms of innovation for cybersecurity in space? So um, for AWS, security has always been the top priority. Um, so AWS has been looking at security since 2006. And I think I mentioned before, AWS now has over 300 security services. And we continue to add more. So at AWS, 90% of our roadmap comes from customer requests. So as we talk to more and more customers... We get the feeling of what they need, whether it is bringing on more analysis and more analytical tools, whether it's bringing on more mitigation, whether it's bringing on more dashboarding and again, sort of that, you know, ease of security. Um, so that's, you know, our bread and butter at AWS. One of the things that we recently launched was AWS Security Data Lake. Um, so now customers can have a central location to put all of their security information and be able to see it with a single pane of glass. And that may seem so easy, but when you look at companies where you have finance, you have HR, you have operations, you have maintenance, those often are stovepipes across the, you know, the customer segment. And so yeah. getting everything together to make a single pane security picture is really, really powerful. In terms of space itself, uh, you know, AWS is working with customers and innovating alongside customers to use the tools that we have and to use the partner network we have, like the CrowdStrike example that I just gave, to allow customers to secure their space assets. Um, I'd love to know about the people side of things, because that's always a challenge, especially in cybersecurity and in space. So when we kind of bring the peanut butter and chocolate together. <laughs> it's like better <laughs> together, but also really hard to find folks who can sort of make that magic happen. So thoughts yep. on that about finding those folks, bringing them in and, and getting them up to speed. Um, first off, we do peanut butter and Nutella at my house. So if you oh, haven't tried better. that, I highly, highly suggest that. <laughs> Sounds, um, yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of, you know, spinning up a, a security-savvy workforce, um, AWS is broadly committed to working with our customers, our partners, and governments to improve cybersecurity. So some examples of that are just upskilling. Um, AWS is dedicated to the upskilling of the technical community throughout all of the industries to, be grow to become successful on AWS. So examples of that are our AWS Cloud Institute, a new program that we just launched where one can become a cloud developer in as little as one year. AWS Educate with hundreds of free hours of training online or the AWS Skills Institute. So at the end of the day, AWS is investing hundreds of millions of dollars to grow our customers' technical skills. 
Um, the second thing is how we actually shape the security market itself. Mm. An example of that is how AWS co-founded the Open Cybersecurity Schema Framework Project. So that facilitates the interoperability of data normalization and security products. So basically all the security products can start talking to each other and inform each other. And through that program, we've actually made an initial commitment of $10 million in a variety of open source security improvement projects. And then the third thing goes along with, you know, the size of Amazon and the scale of Amazon. So AWS has the ability to work with governments around the world to provide innovative solutions to advance shared goals for bolstering um, security against cyber and combating security risk. Fantastic. That's great to hear. It is such a pressing need and uh, we, we need all hands on deck, frankly. So that's, that's wonderful to hear that AWS is doing all of that. I would love to know what your call to action would be for the space community uh, in terms of maybe Im- not just improving their understanding of the need for cybersecurity, but also empowering them. So first off, I would challenge anyone who's listening to this to expand their thinking around what is the space community or the space industry. So AWS and I personally work with many customers who are essentially space companies not because they have a satellite in orbit, but because of the valuable insights that they get from space. So whether you're the oil and gas industry, the financial industry, the government, insurance industry, I would say that these industries are all space industries. And because space is such a critical part of so many industries, the time to secure space is now. Um, Second thing that I want to recap would be that cyber attacks are not a question of if, but when. Cyber is going to happen. So specifically for space, relying on the old school isolation air gap of space is not going to be enough to secure space, especially as space becomes more interconnected with our terrestrial networks. So again, the time to get those cybersecurity plans in place is now. So let's let's pivot to um, the future of cybersecurity in space. It's very hard to predict where things are going, but I would love to know your thoughts on where you th- see things going. I think that, well, one, um, the obvious that cybersecurity in space is, is a paramount thing to look at, to fix, to, to really be, bring to the forefront of every business. Um, but for me in particular, I see that as space becomes more interconnected amongst itself, Right. So satellites talking to other satellites, satellites talking to space stations, and then becomes more integrated with our traditional terrestrial networks, whether that is just connecting to our fiber backbones or, you know, specific sort of service level connections. For example, satellite helping and bolstering a 5G network. Mm -hmm. Um, Once those connections are more and more, the cyber threat to space is going to become more and more. And so if I were to look into my crystal ball, I would say that we have, you know, a few examples right now of a few major examples right now of, say, blackouts over Ukraine or GPS spoofing. But they are, you know, maybe at least the the bigger examples um, are not, haven't, hasn't, um, the bigger examples hasn't inundated the press like we have seen right. with the, the terrestrial examples. That's true. Um, yep. I think that in a number of years, take five, 10 years, I think space cyber attacks are going to be a normal part of news. 
So space mm. is going to become more ubiquitous. Everyone is going to be using space, whether they know it or not. You know, um, major telecom providers have already invested in radios for smartphones so that if you are out of distance from a terrestrial tower, you will automatically be passed over to a satellite connection. And as a user, you won't even know it. You'll just seamlessly move from terrestrial to satellite back to terrestrial and you'll never know it. And as more and more of that just becomes just everyday behavior, you're going to have more and more high profile cyber attacks in space and it's going to become a large part of the media. And my hope is that before it becomes such a large part of the media and such a large part of, you know, I guess commonplace that mm. space companies are proactive in developing their cybersecurity plans, using tools like the ones on AWS or through our partner network, and making sure that they have those security plans and mitigation protocols in place now. So Buffy, tell me a bit about AWS reInvent and what the AWS team is going to be sharing with us there. AWS reInvent, of course, is the biggest AWS conference of the year. And we are super excited to have customers of all industries come and join us, whether you are VPs, decision makers, users, or just interested in AWS. Please come to reInvent in Vegas. For the space side, we actually have eight sessions dedicated to space, a workshop, and three booth demos. So a lot of investment in space and a lot of ways that people can come and learn what AWS is doing in the space industry and also be able to listen to customers like Viasat, United Launch Alliance, Iridium, and Skywatch on how they're using AWS to advance the space industry. And that's it for AWS in Orbit, Episode 2, Buffy Wavoda and Securing the Space Frontier with AI Cybersecurity Solutions. A special thanks to Buffy Wavoda for joining us today. For additional resources from this episode, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com slash AWS. If you want more of this content, consider attending the AWS reInvent conference from November 27th to December 1st in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can learn more at reinvent.awsevents.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth and powered by AWS. Our AWS producer is Laura Barber. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. With original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf. And I'm Maria Varmazis. And tune in for a sneak preview of Episode 3, Accelerating Innovation and Investment at the Space Edge, on December 5th. Thanks for listening.